Welcome to Lavender Dahlia. I'm Jennifer Osler Bolton, and together we are going to enjoy the freedom of exploring who God created us to be by lifting the veil off of our hearts and bringing to light the authenticity that we've been hiding in the dark. I am so happy that you're here. So let's talk. Have you visited the podcast shop yet? Go to jenniferoslerbolton.com and click on the shop link where you can find the perfect item to showcase to the world that you are a Dahlia. Welcome back to season two, episode two of the Lavender Dahlia podcast. You know, I just want to tell you last week, it felt a little uncomfortable, but then it felt right back into the swing of things with the first episode in several months last week. But I just want to thank you for welcoming me back with such open arms and open hearts and so much love. Thank you for reaching out to me. Thank you for welcoming me back into your life. It just feels really good to be here again. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Today, I wanted to talk about something that actually hit me not long ago, less than a week ago, maybe like three days ago. Um, And I, I wanted to bring it here because it's one of those things that we just don't want to talk about. We don't want to acknowledge it because it hurts. And that is the topic of pain, emotional pain. Nobody really wants to address it. And I'm one of those people. I don't want to talk about it. It it sounds messy. It feels messy. I just don't want to talk about pain. But the truth is, is that the emotional pain that we experience is actually necessary. And I'm going to explain why. So for many years in the 16 years that Ryan and I were married, we experienced hardship on all the levels, every level from tiny, tiny little arguments to separation and facing divorce. It was, it was heavy in our marriage, but some of my deepest prayers came during the nights when I would sit in my closet and I would cry out of desperation to not have to feel this tension in my marriage. I would just go there and lock myself away and hide from the world and allow myself to just feel this, this pain that I was having. One of the things that I did, well, now it's about 10 and a half years ago, these scriptures, I would write these scriptures on the back of my closet door and I would read them over and over and over again when I was sitting in my closet in these dark moments. So I'm going to share with you the scriptures that I have written They're just paraphrased, but on the back of my closet door, it says, nothing will separate me and God. That's from Romans 8. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139. You are precious and honored in my sight, and I love you. Isaiah 43. I will rescue you because I delight in you. Psalm 18. Those were very important scriptures to me because I needed to remind myself that God could see me. He could hear me and he was near me and our marriage improved over time. And I actually did not find myself in my closet as often. I I wasn't visiting it every night anymore, but then my daughter's anxiety peaked at 12 years old and I would return to my closet crying out in desperation for an answer, for a cure, for some sort of relief to come into our home. And I would reread those scriptures again. God can see me. He can hear me. He is near me. And after months of going through such a difficult time with my daughter, which by the way, back in season one, 
just feels fun to say that. But if you go back a few episodes on um, the podcast list, there's a great uh, episode there with my daughter where she talks about this period of time with her anxiety. It's I totally recommend, I'm a little biased because it's my daughter, but I totally recommend listening to it. So go back, check that out. It's just me and Amanda talking about anxiety. But getting back to what I want to talk about today, you know, after all of this time that we were going through this, um, you know, really challenging several months with my daughter and her anxiety, I found that instead of hiding in my closet to cry, I should probably just start getting deep in prayer. So my late husband actually helped to turn my closet into my prayer space. Like I cleaned out that closet as best as I could, rearrange things. He had installed uh, an electrical outlet for me so I could put a fan in there if I needed to. Like I had a chair, I had a little table. It was set up and it was literally, quite literally, my war room. And every morning I would go into my closet, I would turn off the light, I would turn on my little battery operated candle and I would sit with my Bible and a journal and I would talk to God. Well, it didn't just end there. I decided I needed to begin fasting. I needed to fast. I was so desperate for my daughter, along with a couple of other people in my life, that I decided to fast for a year, a whole year. I made a commitment and I made it out loud to God. So there was no going back on it with this. Now, What I decided to fast from might not sound like a big deal, but hear me out on this. Diet Coke was my favorite thing ever. I would drink it instead of coffee in the morning, and I would go out of my way to find a drive-thru when I was craving a fountain soda. And Pepsi wasn't going to do it. Diet Pepsi, I'm sorry for the Pepsi lovers, but I was not one of them. I would go and specifically hunt out like a McDonald's because I knew that they sold Diet Coke. That's how badly I was addicted to Diet Coke. So because it was something that I had every day and I craved regularly, I chose to fast from Diet Coke and then really all soda for a year. I was feeling super good on this fast, like feeling so connected, so spiritual, like God and I are besties. I was feeling really spiritually high. And then six months into that fast, my husband was killed in the line of duty. It was the worst day of my life. The pain was absolutely unbearable and completely unimaginable. And to this day, I really can't explain what that day was even like. I could tell you what happened and how the day went on, but I can't for the life of me describe what it was like. It just hurt everywhere. I was desperate for answers, desperate for comfort, and desperate for understanding but I wasn't desperate enough to go back into my closet. I did not want to talk to God. I didn't want to read those scriptures on my closet door, and I didn't want to see the prayer space that my deceased husband had created for me. I didn't want to feel anything. So I avoided that space for days. I would quickly pop into my closet to grab my clothes, but I would leave it as quick as I entered it. I didn't touch my Bible for weeks. I told people, Stop sending me scriptures. I wasn't afraid of what I was feeling emotionally. I cried openly, I spoke candidly, and I shared publicly. I felt every emotion deeply and purely, except anger. For that first month, I would tell people that I didn't feel angry, and truthfully, I didn't. But I know why. 
I was avoiding that confrontation that I needed to have with God. The reason that I did not want to open my Bible and I told people to stop sending me scriptures was because I knew that his words were going to anger me beyond levels I did not want to revisit. I was like, yeah, yeah, I love God and I trust him as long as I don't have to be reminded of his promises. His written words felt like a mockery of my pain. I have plans for you. Really, God? Really? God is close to the brokenhearted. Well, why am I brokenhearted to begin with? God works for the good of those who love him. Well, call me crazy, but I had been pretty darn dedicated to God during this fast for the last six months. But on that day of Ryan's death, I was like, forget it. Somebody go get me a Diet Coke. What was the point of this dedication anyways? But a few days after Ryan died, I decided I would talk to God. I still didn't want to hear a thing he had to say in that book of his, but I would at least try to talk to him. It was short, long enough for me to ask him why, but short enough for me to escape that emotion that I did not want to surface. I wanted to stay numb to the anger. The sadness and the pain was already difficult, so what good was anger going to do for me? And then one day, I went into that closet, and I opened up that book. And after 15 years of reading the Bible, I had no clue what to read. I felt the bitterness creeping in as I read through my highlighted scriptures. False promises, I thought to myself. And then I landed on Job. I started reading Job, and I felt myself getting angry with God for allowing Job to endure what he did. Pretty sure, almost positive, that I said a few choice words as I read about God in that little conversation that he had with Satan about Job. I got so angry as I read through Job's distress because I could relate. I was feeling the same. And then it happened. That anger that I had been pushing down, it produced itself through massive tears, screams, sobs, the weird noises you make when you cry really hard. I pounded my fists on the floor of my closet. I kicked my hamper over and then, yeah, and then a giant F you to the man upstairs. I was so angry. I did not care what was coming out of my mouth. I had not released any of that. I had been holding it in and pushing it down for so long. I was smiling my way through cliche Christian phrases like, God is so good and I know there's a plan. But those smiles were just a band-aid covering a wound that needed air. And the phrases, they were just a substance to dull the pain. After that explosion of anger that I had with God, I had the worst headache and my body was exhausted. I laid down in my closet, fetal position, closed my eyes, and fell asleep. Everything that I had been holding in was finally out. I was done, and it was finished. So my small church, I know I've talked about it before, but we've been reading the book of Matthew for the last few months. We just read one chapter at a time, and I I love it so much. I love going through the Bible that way. Well, we recently read through Matthew 27, and it's so rich with details and history that we divided it into two Sundays. But last week, we read the second half of Matthew 27, and I couldn't pull my heart away from something that I read. So at this point in the book of Matthew, Jesus has been arrested, charged, and sentenced to death on a cross. So I'm going to read just this little bit of it to you. It's Matthew 27, verses 27 through 37. Oh, look at that, all those sevens. (laughs) Okay, verse 27. 
Then Pilate's soldiers took Jesus into the governor's palace. All the soldiers gathered around him. They took off Jesus' clothes and put a red robe on him. Then they made a crown from thorny branches and put it on his head, and they put a stick in his right hand. Then they bowed before him, making fun of him. They said, We salute you, King of the Jews. They spit on him. Then they took his stick and kept hitting him on the head with it. After they finished making fun of him, the soldiers took off the robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be killed on a cross. The soldiers were going out of the city with Jesus. They saw a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry Jesus' cross. They came to the place called Golgotha. Golgotha means the place of the skull. There, the soldiers gave Jesus some wine mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he refused to drink it. The soldiers nailed Jesus to a cross. Then they threw dice to divide his clothes between them. The soldiers stayed there to guard him. They put a sign above his head with the charge against him written on it. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. What was done to Jesus physically and emotionally is unimaginable. It breaks my heart every time I think about it. And I don't know if you've watched The Passion of the Christ, but wow, I watched it one time when it first came out and I have not been able to watch it since. It's unbearable to watch what Jesus went through. So in verse 34, it says that there were soldiers there that gave Jesus some wine mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he refused to drink it. So I don't know about you, but when I read this, wine mixed with gall, I was like, what the heck is that? I don't even know what that is. Apparently, gall is a bitter tasting substance, which is something like wormwood or myrrh. I wouldn't be able to tell you personally, but that is what I found out. (laughs) So the wine is already sour. And then when it's mixed with the gall, it tastes very, very bitter, which is why Jesus was able to identify it so quickly. Well, the mixture of the bitter herbs or the myrrh, it would, in a sense, create a potion, if we want to call it that, that would ease the pain. So here's the thing, right? The Roman Empire was not known to be merciful. So it's not like this was like offered to Jesus out of sympathy, but it was customary to give condemned criminals this mixture to make them really lethargic and mentally confused, which would essentially decrease their awareness of pain. So Jesus gets one little sip of this and he refuses it. He won't take it because he wasn't going to numb any part of this suffering, which was for the payment of our sin. If he would have ingested this wine mixed with gall, it would have lessened the punishment of sin, which we know is what he came to do, to take on that punishment for our sin. Now, I've read this story so many times, especially at Easter, but the other day this hit me differently. I'm going to just read this next little part here in Matthew 27, starting in verse 45. It says, at noon, the whole country became dark. The darkness continued for three hours. About three o'clock, Jesus cried out loudly, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you left me alone? Some of the people standing there heard this. They said, he's calling Elijah. Quickly, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled the sponge with sour wine and tied the sponge to a stick. Then he used the stick to give the sponge to Jesus to get a drink from it. But the others said, don't bother him. We want to see if Elijah will come to save him. Again, Jesus cried out loudly and then died. Now in John chapter 19, when John is recounting this very moment, he says in verse 30 that when Jesus tasted the wine, he said, it is finished. 
Then he bowed his head and died. So here's the part that hit me the other day. Jesus needed to stay aware. He needed to be emotionally and spiritually connected to God and the mission at hand. He needed to be fully engaged in everything he felt because if he were numb from the gall, he wouldn't have felt the moment of separation from God, the moment he received our sin and the moment when it was finished. He had to feel that pain. God's mission for him would not have been complete if Jesus were unaware or unconscious during his crucifixion. Okay, so in a very drastic and minimal in intensity comparison, this reminded me of childbirth, mine specifically. So with Amanda, I had a ton of back labor that I did not know was back labor. So I was just crying out in pain and I kept demanding more drugs. I did not want to feel a thing. So what happened was when it came time to deliver her, I couldn't do it. I actually physically could not do it because I couldn't feel a single contraction. I wasn't motivated to push because I was tired and I couldn't tell if she was close or not. I was laughing in between pushes. That's how drugged I was. I was grunting like during the pushes and the doctor was like, what are you doing? I said, oh, well, I thought I was supposed to do that. I've seen it in movies. Like I I was checked out during Amanda's delivery. It was awful. I pushed for what felt like an eternity, and I was so numb to the feeling that the doctors were actually doing more work to get Amanda out than I was. And then came Brandon almost two years later, and my doctor did not forget about Amanda's delivery. I again requested drugs to numb me out, and she allowed it, but told the nurses to cut me off after a while. But she didn't tell me that. So I had no idea when they turned off the medication, and all of a sudden, I was feeling a ton of pressure. The nurses were still trying to set up the stirrups, and I was yelling that I was about to shoot this baby across the room. The pain motivated me because I just wanted it over, and Brandon was out in four pushes. It was nothing like Amanda's delivery. So I thought I wanted to be numb for the delivery of my babies, but what I found out was that the numbness took away the awareness. I had become dependent on other people in the room to complete the mission at hand. The pain is sometimes necessary. It's what makes us human and it's what keeps us aware. I don't know a single person who actually likes to feel pain, especially emotional pain. So we numb it. We avoid it. We make ourselves busy. We eat, drink, and be merry. We repeat cliche phrases hoping to believe them. We avoid certain people, including God. We shop. We find new hobbies. We distract our thoughts. We work out excessively. We binge watch TV shows. We spend hours scrolling through our phones. We do anything but allow the pain. When I think back to that time period after Ryan's death when I avoided God, I knew that confronting the anger would bring up so much pain. It was going to unleash the depths of my heartache. I was already in pain. So I drank the sour wine mixed with gall. I avoided the Bible. I stayed away from the words that pierced my heart. I repeated those cliche phrases proclaiming God's goodness, but I denied being angry. And then came the day when I refused that bitter drink. The pain was so bad. I cried out to God, how could you do this to me? Where are you? To be honest, I could cry thinking about it right now. My pain fell into exhaustion and I laid myself down on the floor. It is finished. 
I released the grip that I was holding on my spirit and I gave it to God. And when I woke up, the anger left me. I wasn't carrying it anymore. My soul was lighter. My mind was clearer. And I could move forward with God. I needed to feel that pain. Without it, I wouldn't have known when it was time to release my heart into God's hands. I don't know where you are in your walk right now. I don't know what you're facing. And I don't know how you're numbing the pain. But I know it hurts, whatever it is. And I know that you would rather drink the sour wine than feel the bitter pain. The pain is necessary. Without it, you won't be able to feel when it's time to release your heart into God's hands. It's okay. I know it's going to hurt, but I promise that pain doesn't last forever. It serves a purpose, and that purpose is you. I love you guys. Thank you for sharing this time with me. I hope you feel encouraged and are filled with courage to see yourself the way that God sees you. You are so many beautiful things. That's why there's a flower named after you. Make sure to subscribe to Lavender Dahlia for podcast updates and episodes and visit jenniferoslerbolton.com to join the Lavender Dahlia email list. Until next time, my heart is hugging yours. I'll see you soon.